Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Value Guys Stock Talk Show with the Value Guys. I'm Val Hughes. And I'm Momentum. And we are 31-year Wall Street veterans who have had to take on secret identities and go underground in order to provide you with our candid views on a handful of stocks we screen for here in the shop each week. You've seen our faces on TV. You've seen us quoted in the news, but our bosses would never allow our unfiltered views on the air, so we've disguised our voices and they'll never know. This week, it's February uh, 5th, 2013. Uh, Mo and I are back from a nice winter break, and we've done a screen tonight that is, uh, really we customized a little screen here. It's part value, part uh, high quality, part good profitability. Well, you know, I'll just say one thing, that if, if those screens were, and they are, they're a Rorschach test. They tell you exactly what your personality is, and so we can talk about that when we go through the list of stocks that came Yeah. Uh, first, a couple of important caveats. First, this show is for entertainment purposes only. That's not a guarantee. Secondly, uh, Mo and I are professional analysts and portfolio managers during the week, but here on the show, uh, we've made a careful effort uh, not to do really anything but look at these uh, summaries, uh, so beware. Third, uh, our lawyers tell us to remind you that we may not have your best interests in mind and may accidentally recommend you do the opposite of what's best for you. So, Or, or purposely. Or, yeah, what have you, so do your own work. And fourth, uh, and this should not be a surprise to longtime listeners, but we've been drinking a little bit and... Uh, Still celebrating the new year from that excessive shipment from the uh, holiday party. Uh, so see all our caveats, disclosures, photos, links to past shows by ticker, all kinds of great stuff like that at www.thevalueguys.com. Okay, thanks for tuning in. We've got a great show here uh, this week, February 5th, 2013. We've run this interesting screen that we'll talk about in a little while, it's brought us three pretty good ideas. Aerovironment, AVAV, Logitech, L-O-G-I, and Southern Company, actually an electric company. Uh, so you get ten times your roll on this one. Uh, but before we get to that, a little segment of the show we like to call Value Guys Wall Street News featuring Momentum. Mo. Well, yeah, we've got we've got some Wall Street news. How's your holiday been? You know, we've been uh, I've been getting a lot of email. People have been missing the show. We were uh, we took a month off. Well, we did. But I, you know, I a... I think um, I know a lot of you out there saw the kickoff Value Guys Super Bowl ad the other day. Yeah, we've been that getting was great. just we almost the server almost crashed. So I'm glad that um, that you really like that ad. Well, it was uh, four million dollars, but I think it was worth every penny. But you know, you know I think and now you look good in a hat, by yep. the way. Thanks, thanks. So it was great. That was a it was a great Super Bowl. We had a great time. Thanks for all of the thanks for all of the support. Um, so what? Ha- oh, McGraw- so did you have a you had it? We took a month off. You did a little traveling, and I just thought it was interesting the story you could tell. Maybe oh, you don't want to tell. Well, no, we went, we went. We went to Europe. Yeah, we were. Um, we and you speak the language. Speak well, we were. Yeah, I speak some of the language, and we were in. Uh, actually, we were in Amsterdam. Yeah, interesting place. Yeah, reminds me of the Tour de France. Really? Yeah. Well, they lots of people on drugs riding bicycles. <laughs> so, uh, so we so had a good. Did, time. Were you on bikes? Did <laughs> you? Uh, did you? Well, uh, really, race not, at really all? I you know really can't talk much about the yeah. vacation except say it was a great time. And yeah. what did you guys do? 
Uh, we did a little bit of, uh, I mean, it was pretty rigorous, but we we sat in some chairs uh, by the beach, and uh, and we were in a particular stretch of the beach where there wasn't any uh, service, so I'd have to get up and get a drink, come back, take a dip, finish the drink, get up. Wow, I mean, that sounds tiring. horrible. Oh, tiring. But uh, I'm back now, feeling a little better, back, you know. Sometimes you have to go to work to take take a break, you know. You know it is. Yep, I absolutely do. So we're back. Um, we Wall big, Street news. We had big news yesterday. Big news. I'm going to ask you to do the math. All right. What, what's the big news? McGraw Hill. Yeah. Getting, getting sued for $5 billion because of their participation in the residential mortgage. I saw that. So remember, these were the, these were the geniuses that said these... These collateralized mortgage obligations were 100 percent AAA, you know, AAA, and of course, you know, we find out it's garbage, and everyone knows it's garbage. So, but here's a question: yeah. They're underwriting. They underwrote 2.8 trillion bonds. Yeah, they and, rated, uh, rated, they rated, rated that. So, what do you remember when we were working for a competitor? What we what, did work on a bond rating uh, business. And so, what do they charge? What do you think? What do you think they made on a two point eight trillion? Uh, I think it's a fixed. Well, I think it's not uh, asset based pricing when you do a rating. I mean, maybe they get that now. We didn't. Our firm did not. We got. It was like fifty grand uh, to right. rate a bond or something like that. But these guys are. These guys made a billion dollars in two thousand seven. Yeah. Well, uh, as an analyst, I think that there's something people ought to keep in mind when you file a suit against someone for having the wrong opinion on something. It's like it's it's like suing them for uh, not knowing the future in one sense. Right. And part of their research was to survey people smarter than themselves. I mean, we're analysts, and you can't assume you know everything. So when you're looking at an idea, you reach out for smarter better inform people than yourselves to inform your own opinions. And here you had the government itself who backed many of these securities claiming that they were of the highest quality. And so I think that the case, you know, and, and then you had a lot of other agencies with the same ratings who aren't being sued. You had the whole world with these same views, even though they were wrong. I mean, remember, everyone thought the earth was flat at one point. No one's but going to jail I, about that. I so. think the incriminating evidence and the smoking gun is the fact that these guys have got their, um, the prosecutors have got their hands on tons of emails, and so when someone is sending a colleague an email saying, Yes, I know. We just raided a piece of... Yeah, no, I know. That's the problem. Dung. So, You're right. We'll see, but I'm, uh, yeah, they made a billion dollars, so if they lose five billion, it's still probably a good business decision. But I would say that there's a lot of emails at a lot of firms, including Freddie and Fannie, who were obviously government agencies and had the biggest uh, part of this whole mess. I bet there's a few emails over there that would also be smoking Pretty, guns. So yeah. I, I just would like listeners to uh, take your time before vilifying the rating agencies, in part because no one should be relying on rating agencies or analysts of any kind. I mean, certainly the caveats we put on at the beginning of the show should be put on by every rating agency. Um, and so I, I think the, the, the reliance that their opinions are, in fact, truth may have gotten a little carried away. That's and you, right. yeah. So of course, and, and they uh, usually drink heavily before they do their analysis. Well, of course. It's endemic of course they in the do. Industry. Yeah. Jesus. So, I have an idea for us. Yes, sir. I got a free hug on the way over. 
a free hug. You heard about this? Did you? Google it. I thought your wife was out of town. Google free (laughs) hugs. It's a movement, and you'll see them in the shopping malls. I just saw them at a government center. There must have been 20 people with big signs that said free hugs. Okay. So I asked, are there any caveats, uh, any hidden clauses, any obligations? Do I have to go listen to a pitch on, uh, you know, timeshare and... uh, you know, the Bahamas? Nope, nope, nope. Totally free. free no strings hugs. attached. So I got a free hug. Oh, look. Here it is. Freehugscampaign.org. Well, there there must have been 20 people in line in front of me to get the free hugs. So, here's the idea. Well, that sounds better than Occupy Wall Street. There weren't absolutely. a lot of free hugs over there. That's absolutely true. Now, here's the, here's the idea. We provide premium hugs. $2. Premium hugs. Here's the deal. Okay. Here's the deal. One. Yeah. They're giving something away. They're not advertising it as particularly good. We come on the market with a better mousetrap. We charge $2 for it. A better hug. A better hug. And So this is a money-making idea for and, and who do we hire? Well, we hire all the guys that are getting paid nothing to give free hugs. We give them 50 cents a hug. Upgrade their services. Yeah. They put that on their resume. Basically, where else can stone. you where else can you create a beachhead in an industry where everybody currently works for free? Uh, Except well, around in our here. industry, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, internships it's that that's a valuable uh, paragraph on your resume. Yeah, sir. exactly. Uh, but uh, well, yeah, so there's that's a thing, Mo. You, I mean, you got you, you do the math. How many people are in New York? Uh, five million. Eight, I don't, eight million. How many people Two in New York do you think? How many people in New York do you think need a hug? Uh, I think all eight, all eight million do. I know I need a hug. There you go. And so when you when you guys are looking at private equity deals, what do you always say? Needs not wants. You do. You know, it actually it's disarming when you take an opponent in a negotiation and you you walk up to them and they don't know what to expect. You give them a free hug. That goes a long way, my that friend. That is true. Hugs it, are uh, very breaks the ice. The yeah. Point, the, the point you just made is they're very. Yeah. They're valuable. They're powerful. Yeah, and the, and the, the Europeans know this. I mean, right. maybe you're getting uh, some of this so insights from your trip to Europe. I mean, maybe we should even think more than that. But I was just thinking, two dollars huh. per hug. You do the math. Eight million people in New York. All of them need a hug. What about people that might want to hug you, Mo? You yeah. could have people write in. Here's the thing. I'll be your agent. Write Val at thevalueguys.com. Mo, you could set up a booth somewhere, and people could come. Hugging booth. The point, though, is not. The point. The point, though, is this is infinitely (laughs) leverageable. Why? Who? No one knows what I look like. I I could have thousands of actors being me in those booths. That's leverage. I hope people are skipping ahead to the stock park. Anyway, (laughs) just want to do a quick shout out. Want to do a shout out to Danny Healy Ray. He's the local councilman in Cary County, Southwest Ireland. Who approved the measure which will allow police to issue permits to rural residents to drive drunk? In where's this? Canada? <laughs> Almost. Oh. Oh, Southwest Ireland. Oh, okay, Ireland. So you can actually get a you can actually get a permit to drive drunk in Ireland now. You gotta love that. It's only a matter of time before we follow suit. Um, well, why shouldn't you? Are there are there a, a list of negatives? I mean, I can't think of a one. Sheep. Sheep blocking the roads. Kill a are lot we, of sheep. Kill are we done with the there. news part? We're or? done with the news. All right. I've got and, a news item. Uh-oh. I've got a news item. Uh-oh. Yeah. Uh, today, I drove in because we're doing the show. I don't want to mess around later with trains and all that. So I drove in 
And on the way in, I listened to Bloomberg Surveillance. So here's a free, talk about a free hug, here's a free plug. Bloomberg Surveillance. <clears throat> it's great in the morning, listen in. I forget what time it's on, but in the morning. Let's what are they say. surveilling? Well, the wall, you know, Wall Street. They're talking about what's going on. They've got economists, analysts. They've got, you know, sometimes friends of ours, et cetera, talking. Uh, but here's the thing. Today was the top. The topic was Dell. There's been this private <coughs> offer for Dell, which I guess there's a news release. I didn't waste any time, you know, looking at that. Too much information. I've looked in at those. Dell. Well, Dell pops up in every screen. Why? Because it's so cheap. And here's the thing. I love Bloomberg surveillance. But uh, the conversation today was, you know, uh, you know, boy, they're getting this thing too cheap. They're stealing it. They're stealing it. I'm not sure. There's something going on. I'm suspicious of what's going on. And here's the thing. This stock right now, if you think it's cheap, it's trading at five times EBITDA. And it's been trading at five times EBITDA or less for five years. So clearly, in a free market, no one's paying any more for Dell. I mean, it's been sitting here as a value trap for years because what they sell is a commodity. They used to have a big edge around logistics. You know, when you look at uh, how people earn returns on capital, it's margin times asset turnover, and they were, you know, always putting up a low margin. It's a commodity, the PC, but they got big, and they had good efficiencies of assets, and they had a high, high return. But the PC is in the dissension a little bit, obviously, and so their sales have been flat and all that, and the PE has sat around 10 or 15, uh, the enterprise value to EBITDA around 5, and it's been that way for five years. So here's what I'd say. Anyone that thinks Dell and Mr. Dell are stealing the company, uh, where do you own it and you're, it's being stolen from you? Because it's been sitting here for five years at this value, the company is putting a 45-day window on other bidders to come along. I just think the notion in a free market that somehow uh, these capitalists are stealing the company, well, buy it yourself at this price. It's been here for years. We've looked at it in the past because of the questions about the ongoing growth in the PC business and now, Dell's market share. Now, so, why, why do you call it a, a value trap? Is that because it's uh, hope springs eternal yeah, and exactly. value players flock it's to cheap. this? It's cheap, so you buy it. It's five times EBITDA. Now, five times EBITDA as a shareholder, remember, I always like to look at the yield. So one over five is 20%. People on the show have heard me say that's a 20% cash-on-cash return. But the truth is, as an equity buyer, I don't actually get that cash. But if we bought the company, you and I, we got some friends, all we would need is $24 billion, that's the value, then we will really get a 20% cash-on-cash return. So Michael Dell and his partners in here, I think it's a firm called Silver Lake Partners, Microsoft is taking a piece, it's a nice group of investors, they will really get a 20% cash-on-cash return. And when you look at the Treasury, at uh, depending on what the... Uh, maturity is two three percent you know even if the pc business is flat you're going to improve your efficiencies you're going to improve your margin and you might uh, bring act you might actually bring something to the table that could boost the bottom line yeah right and you have that free call option on innovating something so um i just want to you know put basically hats off to mr dell that he has the 
view that his company is going to contribute in the future. He's willing to take that 20% cash on cash return. And frankly, for equity buyers, that ability for the private market to step up and pay cash and actually get that cash on cash return is the anchor, in effect, that keeps the public price honest, if you will. It can't get too far below that enterprise value to EBITDA multiple that delivers a good cash return because if it does, private investors will step up and then people like uh, Bloomberg Surveillance are going to complain about it, but you know what? They should have stepped up and bought the stock. So that's my part news, part rant. A little part on, excitement. Uh, Dell. Uh, so would computer. you buy the stock? Well, I would not. I mean, because you think that you well, think the, that it probably doesn't have to go up much. They get their twenty percent. They don't want to go for twenty five. Uh, the group uh, put their their uh, uh, offer on the table today. It was basically right in line with what the rumors suggested. So what they did, I think, fairly was they took the ninety days of trading prior to the floating of the knowledge that they were talking. That was around ten bucks or ten fifty, something like that. And they are paying, I believe, a 30% premium to that 90-day trailing price. Now, a guy at Bloomberg Surveillance is saying, well, gee, uh, a year ago, and I've got the price chart here, I think, somewhere. A year ago, um, this thing was uh, trading much higher. And, uh, you know, maybe it was. I mean, it was. It was trading up at 16, 18. But, again, if there were value in the stock, the public market Anybody could step up and buy it. We'll see in the next 45 days if, if anybody does do that. So uh, anyway, I thought that was kind of an interesting I think I think, that's, uh, I think that's a wrap. Okay, let's get to uh, some stocks. We've got uh, three ideas here this week. Hopefully you've skipped ahead to this part if that was a little hey, dull a for you. <laughs> I don't know. Um, the screen this week, you know, we've been doing these fact set screens. And there's buttons on my machine here, and that's all you know, fine and good. But I got a little bored this week, Mo. So I wanted to do a screen that was a little more tailored to what we like to buy in the shop. So here's what it is. Well, hold it. Before that, yeah. like I said earlier, yeah. listen to this. for The finance guys listen to this because when you say, I'm going to create a screen for stocks that I think are attractive, it's an investor's Rorschach test. Yeah. Right? So uh, a financial psychologist would be able to look at that and say, he likes this, he does this, here's what he's looking for, he wants it to be cheap, but not too cheap, but he wants it to have a little <clears throat> glam, but not... And they, I bet they could come away and determine maybe a lot I'm, about your personality. Maybe I'm giving a little bit too much away about myself if I if I reveal this. But you Re- know what? Read on and let the just, reader... We're an open book here on the value guys, except for our real names or identities or where we live or anything like that. So okay. what are the what are the Here's what I got. Market value above a hundred million. Okay, so big enough to you know be real, not so small that you know the wind could blow and kick it out of out of business. Market value below five billion because I think the efficient markets, you know, the notion that all information is contained in the existing price. Uh, I think below five billion, Wall Street doesn't invest a lot in the analytics to really allow people to to know much about it unless they do their own work and so few people are doing their own work this this these times so you know you want to have an opportunity to learn something unique so you stay below 5 billion then uh i thought you know stocks have a range a 52 week range i don't want to buy something that seems to be running because then you're going to get the momentum guys in there and you're going to have it overvalued just what's wrong with momentum notion. guys well because they over, they 
they get in and why do they like it? They like it because other guys like it. It's just that's where you get that phrase that you may know of as the bubble. So I don't want to buy bubbly stuff. I want to buy non-bubbles. So I have this little thing in here where I want to buy it in the lower 20% of its last 52 weeks. It's kind of a arcane notion, not that you can occasionally buy a stock that is at its high if it's warranted, but these are screens. I just want to look through stuff that has a better chance maybe to be attractive, so I did that. Then, uh, total debt to EBITDA, less than two. So actually I've laid in a, a criteria here that I might, in a different mood, be a little looser on. These are pretty, you know, pretty financially strong companies. Then enterprise value to sales. I don't do EBITDA because I maybe want a company losing money because then fewer people can buy it. One of the things I hope for as the idea evolves is increasing demand for the stock, which sometimes when a company turns profitable, now more people can buy it. So I'd like to buy before that. So this is attractive on a sales basis, but it ignores earnings for the moment. Uh, then I want my average return on capital, the last... I guess I did... Uh, Ten years? I did f actually five, five years, greater than 10%. And that gives me the opportunity to buy something that is down right now but has a history of good returns. And it, you know, maybe there's a, a mistake they made that they can recover from. Um, and then finally, and this one I, I don't usually put in, but give me uh, companies where the average sales per employee... <laughs> is greater than $200,000. I think the average out there might be around 100. And by going to 200, you get companies that are less labor intensive, so you're going to have fewer problems with labor costs. And there's so much productivity coming through uh, machines and capital equipment that by keeping your labor costs low in a company relative to your other factor inputs, it gives you that opportunity for growth and margin uh, through technology, and, 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 and it flat out eliminates some some industries that you might not want to be in. Whole yeah, industries, right? Union problems right. are gone with that criteria. Then uh, I just laid in a couple of these valuation criteria just for you and I to eyeball. So that screen uh, gave us uh, forty five stocks, uh, and the universe on this thing was two hundred thousand. That's for every single company, it includes private ones. So obviously, one of our criteria is publicly traded, but Forty-five came through that screen. I think that's pretty good. And we, you and I sat here, we drank pretty heavily, and we went through those forty-five. And I didn't know one of them. Yeah. I didn't know one of the names, and you owned a bunch of them. Well, I owned several of them, but uh, the three we chose, Aerovironment. That's hard to say. A-V-A-V. -A -V. Uh, Logitech, which people know they make mice and keyboards. And then Southern Company. I see that I want to say As Southern Comfort. <laughs> so, uh, by the way, we should get some of that. That'd be a nice oh. usual for the show. So let's just go alphabetical, right? right. Uh, first up this week, Aerovironment, ticker AVAV. -A -V. And I got a question for you before we even... Yes, sir. Off. Sorry. Go ahead. Aerovironment. Yeah. Who writes this slop? I'm going to read what they do, and then you can tell us what Probably they lawyers. do. Probably is a technology solutions provider which designs, develops, produces, and supports an advanced portfolio of unmanned aircraft systems and electronic 
transportation <clears throat> solutions. Yep, they do. It provides situational <laughs> awareness and other mission effects to increase security and operational effectiveness of companies' customers. Efficient energy systems segment focuses on the design, development, production, support, and operations of innovative, efficient electric energy systems that address the, that address <laughs> the growing demand for energy yeah. transaction solutions. Yeah. Well, that's lawyers who have worked at the Defense Department. All right, so what, what do they do? Well, these guys... Um, we have looked at them here in the shop, so I had some familiarity. They make uh, basically handheld uh, airplanes, so think model airplane, but that costs $100,000 a piece. And law enforcement and military can take these things, you fling them in the air. They have motors, uh, you know, they're propeller-driven, battery-driven. Some have gas. I'm not even sure on that. You have to check it out. But what they do is they save lives by flying over toward where the bad guys are. They've got high-resolution cameras looking down. They can beam back coordinates so you can put, you know, firepower right where the weapons are. And it saves lives for our good guys. And these things cost $100,000, but they last a while and they save lives. So Too small uh, to shoot down? Uh, they're too small to shoot down, and for urban environments where you're just you're trying to save lives of police going into a bad situation, um, you know no they're, the, they're they, the proverbial fly on the wall. Well, people can't shoot them down. Right. Can you right. imagine a guy, you know, a criminal trying to shoot down a plane? I mean, he's not going to be able to do that. In military situations, they can fly high enough so that they're hard to spot. And all that. They have, uh, you well, know, the big concern here, the stock is down. It traded as high as 35. It's a 21 today. And, and, and part of that is because the wars where they've been using these things are ending. And there, of course, is yeah, some peace, sentiment. Peace is breaking out all over the globe. Yeah, well, I see, that's here's depressing. the thing. If that's the perception, it's not true. And so, and anywhere you can save lives, uh, Look how much money we're pumping into health care. Why? Save lives. More years of life. And these things, you're okay. not saving the lives of 75-year-olds. You're saving the lives of 20-year-olds and 25-year-olds. They're worth way more than, you know, lives of you I and I. It. I get it. So I there's it. a... Here's a question. The story's great. I mean, now that I know what it is, because I sure wouldn't have read the business Let me business see if I can dial it up here. But um, now that you know what they do, the question is: you've had you've had pretty sluggish sales. I mean, they were three three hundred fifty three mil last year, three hundred fifty five mil this year. So essentially, flat sales for last year, and even the year before that, it was three and a quarter. So you think that some, you know, you think that somebody producing these things with the demand, and now that they're becoming they're becoming legal in a lot of states, or there were privacy issues associated with them, but now they're becoming legal. You think that this thing would be ready to take off, and yet sales are flat. And you're right; the stock's down from 35. So I wonder what's going on. On the flip side, you just drew something on your graph. If you look, this stock you've been able to buy at basically $20 a share, which is where it is today, and sell it at $35 a share once, twice, and we're Three times. So here we are again back at the $20 range where it has been bouncing up to 35 
ever since 2007. Maybe we have a technical play here. If you're telling me, then the outlook isn't as bad as people think. Well, there could be that, I suppose. But from my point of view, look, in 2007, they sold $215 million worth of these, I'll call them young men's lifesavers, okay? Last year, uh, $325 million. So what's the growth rate on that? 325 divided by 215, one, two, three, four periods. So that's to the 0.25 power. That's 11% sales growth. Um, and yeah, maybe maybe they're going to buy a few, you know fewer of these because we're not going to be in Afghanistan and Iraq quite as much as as we are. But every urban police chief in America wants some of these things so that when he's got to send his men out into a dangerous situation, he can send these in and they can take pictures of the entire area. They can, they'll, they'll have, you know, some sensors, they'll be able to find out where the guns are because they have them characteristic in the, you know, it's just going to, it's going to give the good guys so much information that I think that it's a short, uh, you know, a short-term notion that, gee, we're going to be not using these in Afghanistan and Iraq because... Law and domestic a, law enforcement will pick up a lot of the slack. And international law enforcement, and then also there will be another... War. I mean, in Benghazi, could you have used some of these things? In uh, every hot spot in the world, can you use some of these I think we should things? have a caveat here that this is not the value guys forecasting a war that is imminent any time. Well, the I don't mind going on record saying that there will be another incident where saving the lives of young men using these, uh, you know, mechanical birds is going to be, uh, you know, in the ascension. And so... I, I like it when there's not a lot of expectations in the stock because it's trading right now. It's 6.4 times EBITDA. Yeah. Now, bear in mind, if EBITDA goes down, but if EBITDA goes down, let's just create a scenario that I have no knowledge about. If EBITDA goes down 50%, then it's trading at 12 times EBITDA. That's still an 8% cash-on-cash return in a world where the Treasury is at uh, whatever it's at, 3%. So I have some cushion there. The balance sheet is good, no debt, no debt. Yeah. and historically, the returns on equity are in the low teens, and what I think that is, is the military, because some of these things are thought of as managed businesses, the military buyers looking at these returns and saying, what's fair for the company, and I think that I think the Pentagon, you know, they can spend $300 million, like whenever they want, since their budget is a trillion. Right. And so I think they just give these guys enough business to keep them earning a fair return. They're earning mid-teens EBITDA margins. They're earning, uh, you know, upper single-digit return on assets. Um, and so those are fair numbers. And I, I just think that uh, at this level, you know, it's a need-not-want. You're saving lives. It's six times EBITDA, which I'll point out is a 16% cash-on-cash return. That's only a little bit higher than what private investors are willing to pay for Dell. So, right. again, this 16%, 15%, uh, that's a level that attracts private capital. And so uh, I, I like it on that basis. Run by, you notice it's run by three MBAs, no engineers. Really? Yeah, I didn't notice that. MBA, MBA, MBA. Well, here, Timothy I've got a Thompson. movie here. So, what are we looking at? Oh, well, this it's, is it's the device. The, it's the airplane. Looks like a helicopter. You're watching Fox 10, Arizona Morning. What? Hey, you just gave away where we are. 
Look at that thing. Wow. The little airplane is going to shoot him down. How about that, you guys? This is video. Wow. Uh, it's coming from... Uh, anyway, so very cool. that's a little live demo there. Um, so run by MBAs. <laughs> we like it. I like it technically. Clean balance sheet. Looks like it's a decent return. Um, yeah. All right. We get double vote on this one, I double think. Double vote. Okay. And I'd point out that um, Royce Value owns this owns 1.5% of the outstanding shares, and those are pretty smart value guys over there. After uh, us. Yeah, you know, they get a lot of the publicity, but uh, I like seeing their name on a on a shareholder list. Okay, next up, uh, Logitech, ticker L-O-G-I, and in full disclosure, uh, I own this stock. Um I'd, I'd love to hear this story because yeah. you know when I think about this, the first question, and I this might you might hear this at every investor conference, but isn't isn't iPhone at some point going to do what Logitech? I mean, you can have an iPhone mouse, you can have an iPhone um, remote control for for don't they do a lot of remote controls? And is that yeah is that just going to go away? Yeah, um, well, that's a very good question, uh, Mo. There's a lot of negative in the stock right now. Uh, the high in 2008 was 40-something, maybe 50 even on this chart. Right now, you can pick up the stock for 685 So Of course, it's been going straight down from, yeah. from $20 a yeah. share in 2010, but yeah. So are there concerns about their remote control business, which used to be uh, a big profit driver? Yes. yes. Are there concerns about the company's ability to migrate the transition from a PC and desktop world to a tablet and smartphone world? Uh, yes. yes. So is there a concern that in a world of touch screens, no one's going to need a mouse or a keyboard, which are their two <laughs> primary products? Uh, let's just say... Yes. yes. Okay. This is even easier than guess the dividend, isn't it? So well, you know, did you? Yeah, I, I've a lot never, of negatives in the stock. Uh, speaking of negatives, yeah. I've never seen this before. <laughs> Earnings <laughs> estimates were actually cut two thousand two hundred and sixty-two percent. That is amazing. Percent. How can you cut something two thousand percent? That is. So we're looking at a sheet. That is that says a typo? <laughs> analysts cut their. Six months. June thir- June 2013 estimate by 2,000%. No, 2,262%. Well, it's even worse than that, Mo, because it's negative 2,000%. Uh, I guess that's true. It must have gone from... Uh, Look at this, another another bunch of yeah. MBAs who run this company. <laughs> Look at that there. We need well, to- okay. Obviously, there's a lot of negative in the stock. Um let me take a moment just to lay out the bull case for the stock, which I think might need to be laid um, out. I'd right? like to hear okay. that. Okay. Logitech. They make peripherals. Mice and keyboards going away. Okay. That's in the story. Also, their two biggest initiatives of the last couple of years, one was uh, Google TV. They partnered up with Google to make the device. Guess what didn't work out? Google TV. Big write-offs, etc. They put a lot of their R&D staff... The R&D staff that normally is supposed to be working on their next generation of remote control, they accidentally put on the Google TV. The Google TV failed. The remote control wasn't ready for the next gen. And, you know, they just finally put out a new remote control. They're not seeing the, uh, the sales that they hoped for. Uh, in addition to the failure at Google TV, 
they also had a big initiative in uh, video calling. They had a whole suite of stuff that was going to be for the small office that you do video calls. Guess what? Let me just say Skype, okay? So right. they've actually announced recently they're going to spin that off and try to sell it, and it may end up being worthless. So needless to say, they've been di- disappointing shareholders for five years as the stock's gone from 50 to 6, 6 and 80. All right, why do I like it? Why do I own it? I'm questioning that myself right now after listening to myself. But here's what I think. First, on a depressed level of EBIT, so in 2007 they earned $287 million in EBIT. Uh, ne- last year they earned $72 million, and uh, they had a negative EBIT this year, but that's got to include a write-off, I'm pretty sure. Next year is estimated at $80 million in EBIT. So they're down by two-thirds. And even at that depressed number, the stock is seven times EBITDA. I'm going to call that a 14% cash-on-cash return. So private equity in a sick, sick Dell computer paid five times EBITDA. That's a 20% cash-on-cash. Here we have a sick Logitech for many of the same reasons that Dell is Is sick. Is it sick or is it terminal? Well, that's a good question. People ask that about Dell as well. But this one is an evaluation that certainly attracted private equity into Dell. Here's the positive story. The bad stuff is behind them. Google TV is not an ongoing loss. Google screwed up. They, you know, they were asked to be a partner. They said yes. Who wouldn't? And it didn't work out. So they've written all that off. They've written this other stuff off. Now, their most uh, up-to-date business is tablet accessories. Obviously, tablets are in the ascension, taking share from PCs. Mm. They have come out with a bunch of tablet accessories, so things that you hook onto your tablet, it provides a Bluetooth keyboard, it provides some speakers, and believe it or not, not everyone likes touching the screen they're going to be looking at, so they are selling mice. So part of the concern here about what's so-called attachment rates of mice and keyboards to the tablet, they're telling us that, guess what, when you don't get a keyboard or a mouse with the device you've bought, people tend to buy more of them. And this, this is, it seems to me to be common sense. With computers, you get a keyboard and a mouse, and yet they sold a lot of keyboards and mice. With a tablet, you don't get a keyboard and mice and mouse, and yet the story was, the sentiment was, they would sell fewer keyboards and mice. Well, the test is being done right now. They're selling more keyboards and mice per tablet than they were per PC, but they still have some of this legacy problem. They also, this most recent quarter, had a problem with the Windows 8 transition, so PC sales slow down, all their peripherals slow down as a result, and also they have a lot of peripherals with the iPhone, and the iPhone 5 has a different, uh, you know, charger format than the prior one, so all their sound equipment, their docking stations, all that struggled a little bit. So they're in a sea of negatives. We've bought this thing at seven times EBITDA. We're really believing in their history of understanding how to build good peripherals around whatever device people are buying. They're going to build peripherals. And they have a lot of product that's just starting to take root around the tablet, smartphone, etc. So we're, we're buying it on the basis of current cash flows and projected cash flows over the next year, seven times EBITDA. Uh, the balance sheet, by the way, is in pretty good shape, and we think it's a pretty good value 
if they can find some traction with tablets. That's and, and, the, and I would the only thing I and I think that yeah, it's good. It's a good it's a good replacement for the businesses that they're you know that they're going to lose over the next five six years. The question I have about tablet accessories is I'd like to see what the demographics are because I watch my nieces and nephews and they can type faster with their thumbs on an iPhone really? than I can type on a keyboard. And so the question is, as they become more and more adept to voice commands, they're super, super fast in Well, texting. dictation uh, apps are very good now, too. And Will that, again, <coughs> begin to eliminate the, you know, they're talking about these, they're talking about these tablets being able to track your irises and you can move a mouse with your eyeballs. Yeah, like, no, I it's like fighter pilots. So uh, that would be the question. If the uh, accessories are being purchased by older people who just want, don't want to give up the keyboard even though they have a, uh, a, a, a tablet, if that's the case, then I don't see this as a big growth sector. I see it as holding on to another sector that's gradually going to yeah. wither on the vine. But I want to see the demographics, and if you get a, that's a clean bill of health. It sounds like a pretty well, bullish story. Well, part of the story you have to really believe in is not so much looking at the products that they sell and they're going out of fashion. You have to more think about what is uh, in the ascension from a primary device standpoint and do you have confidence that they can build the peripherals around that? For example, we're speaking into this microphone here that's not a Logitech product, but it's a peripheral. And right. so could they build a great microphone? One of the things that they've noticed and they talked about on their most recent conference call was, you know, when they were building mice and keyboards and selling a lot of them, they innovated some things in sound and it was a sort of a baby step, and now they're taking that further. So you look out in the marketplace, and you've got some very high-end stuff uh, that, you know, is thousands of dollars. Then you have Bose that's many hundreds of dollars. And then you have, at the very low end, <coughs> stuff like Home or off-brands that cost, you know, $100. They're trying to target this place that'll, let's just call it for lack of a better phrase, right under Bose. So the reputation that Bose has, and they've just gotten placement in the Apple Store with their product, their sound product that connects to the iPad and the iPhone through Bluetooth that sits at a price point just underneath the Bose. So if you want to step up for the Bose, buy the Bose. If you want to buy the cheapest thing, get the Home. But they're right in there and I, and I think that that's the kind of thing, and, yeah, and I don't know how it's going to work out. I just think that it's an evaluation where um, it's a reasonable uh, Oh, I reasonable definitely think bet. that's a sustainable business. The accessories market I still am a little skeptical on, but yeah, who's next? Okay. Uh, finally, this week, and this is coming off of the screen that's part uh, historical uh, decent profitability and part current valuation on a sales to enterprise value uh, basis. Um, Southern Company, ticker SO, and uh, the reason I was attracted to this one particularly is there's been a theme here on the show over many years now, needs not wants. We're apt to be in a pretty slow GDP growth period over the next, who knows, 10 to 20 years, simply because the baby boomers are retiring, and the people coming up underneath, there's fewer of them. They aren't as skilled, and so we're going to have this natural sort of pressure headwind on GDP. So <coughs> needs not once becomes more important 
This company provides electricity, which uh, electricity per capita around the world has been growing since electricity was invented. Um, interestingly, last year in the United States, for the first time in recorded history, uh, electricity use per capita ticked down, and I think that was in large part due to the uh, fewer uh, homes per capita, and also um, we had a little bit cooler summer than normal, so electricity use for uh, air conditioning was off. But it was it's, it's a historic situation. Um, but around the world, of course, electricity use is in the demand. And in places where people move, it's in high demand. So these guys are in the south. Alabama Power, Georgia Power, Gulf Power, Mississippi Power. Um, they sell electricity in uh, some of our hottest states in America uh, to retail customers. And so electricity use for air conditioning is a big driver. Uh, but also these are tend to be right-to-work states, so electricity use for industry. Also the uh, natural gas boom and the uh, logistics of the pipelines that drive that, they all sort of coalesce down in the you know, Louisiana area. So this whole area down here is apt to be a growth area, and these guys are providing electricity. It's 9.5 times EBITDA, so that's an 11% cash-on-cash return. It's a little higher than I want to pay, but I'd note that... <coughs> In a needs-not-wants world, 11% is pretty good compared to the long bond. And as I've said in the past, I think that uh, these utilities are probably in better financial shape than the United States. So you get a higher return on uh, an entity that I think is uh, more able to pay than you know I have confidence in uh, you know the Fed continuing to pay on the bond. Um, well, you know, it's no, kind of a joke, but what have you. Good returns on equity, good returns on assets, a little bit of a premium valuation, but almost a certain slow growth path, and a pretty good balance sheet for utility as well, Southern Company. Well, you know, one of the things when you when I look at the company <clears throat> and you look at their sales, their sales been $17 million back in 2008, and there's $17 million now. You look at their five-year compounded growth rate of sales; it's 1.5 percent. So you obviously, when, when I look at that, I wonder why would you want ever want to own the stock? And the reason is it's got a four and a half percent yield. So yeah, the, the, it right. is it is an electric. It is a utility, yeah. and uh, unless you believe that there's something systemic about you know decline in in pricing, or unless we're missing something from the regulatory perspective, um, you don't need much growth. As long as you're getting that, if that 4.5% dividend grows at 1.5% a year, that's a very attractive return for something that has presumably fairly limited downside because it is a utility. So the question I have is, is this indicative of where utilities' yields are right now, or is this an undiscovered utility? I'd want to. Well, there's a little uh, chart here of comps. So um, we're looking at them versus Centerpoint Energy, Entergy, Next Era Energy, American Electric Power. <coughs> but they don't really show you their those guys' dividends. Well, they don't show you that, but they show you the P.E. And I'm going to guess that the dividend relative to the earnings is similar in these companies. These guys are paying out uh, about two-thirds of their earnings, and utilities historically do that. The, the risk I would say that is here is I notice that their return on equity, Mo, is very consistent 
in the 12, 13, 11, 12, 13 range. Right. And utilities historically now, were regulated. Where they had that, where they yeah, couldn't go above that. Where they, they were they regulated on the basis of return on equity. And so, um, and those regulators used to look at the long bond as a benchmark, and they would take the long bond and then a premium the to premium. tie into the return on equity. If the regulators, and I don't honestly, uh, I've done as little work as possible here, it doesn't say, and I'm just reading a summary from the 10K, I can't tell you for sure whether these are regulated anymore. My belief is is that years ago, most states dropped their regulation um, right. In favor of the free market, but I can't say that for certainty in these particular states. But if they are regulated, and you know, someone should just Google that, then this allowed return on equity could be at risk because with the long bond at three percent, you know, these returns are twelve percent. No one's historically offered the long bond plus nine percent. It's been the long bond, which used to trade at eight. Plus a four or five percent, uh, you know, premium, and if that's the case, that could push the allowed return on equity down a couple hundred basis points, which means a twenty percent hit to earnings. If, if that's, but if that's a scenario, yeah. But even in that scenario, the dividend would be safe because right. if I cut earnings twenty percent, I still have the dividend covered, and so your yield is still good. Yeah, you know, um, yeah, that's a pretty good point. So anyway, Southern Company, um, ticker SO. I don't know. Anything you know, else on that one? I just have one <clears throat> question for you. What, what are the, because I don't know the company, what are the odds that their legacy systems continue to marry them to, say, coal or something, whereas you've got new companies which are sprouting up, instant energy companies, and their primary energy source is gas, which is a hell of a lot cheaper than the coal burners. And so could this be that people are thinking we're going to see a sea change in the industry, we're going to go gas, and it's either going to cost them a lot to reconfigure themselves or convert themselves, or they're going to lose market That's share. That's a very good comment, Mo, because one thing that could evolve, if we get this so-called smart grid and sort of you right. know society owns the grid and they regulate what you pay to move electricity across the grid in with you know the social... Uh, you know, good of making electricity available from more sources everywhere so no one's dependent on one source and you reduce blackouts and brownouts and things like that. If you do that, then I think your point is uh, critical because in that world, low-cost production will win. Yep. Uh, we do know that the EPA cut out a whole bunch of coal plants uh, last year during 2012. And so, you know... The EPA is sort of taking care of that. I don't know, and we can't tell from this document what mix of uh, business they of, have. Of production you know, <clears throat> well, source would... they have for the electricity. If it's if it's hydro or nuclear, you know those are pretty low cost. Wind is not big enough to make a big splash yet. But uh, I, I can't tell you in this case yeah. how they're making. Electricity. Well, it's something I look at, but it's a, yeah. but it's a very interesting story. Okay, so. Uh, this uh, is the part of the show, and I guess we'll be back at the end of the show with our favorite stock. We will. We'll have to think about that. But this is the part of the show where we like to do uh, a thing we call paging through national economic trends, where Mo and I literally page through the national, national economic, economic trends, trends. <laughs> publication from the St. Louis Federal Reserve. 
And of course, as uh, we usually do, we have absolutely uh, done no work on that, nor have we even printed those out. Yeah. So uh, we'll have to take a pause, and we will be right back. through national economic trends. So, uh, and you can follow along at home, ladies and gentlemen. We're looking at the February 2013 edition of National Economic Trends published by the Federal Reserve Bank of St. Louis. Do you pay taxes? Well, this is free. It's a way to get, get your money's worth, right? Right. Everything you need to know about the U.S. economy. Uh, so what do you got, Mo? Anything interesting there? Uh, well, you know, I, I've never... They, I don't know if they always have the same... If they always have the same uh, charts on these pages, or where they they uh, freshen some by uh, adding new charts in occasionally, because I don't remember looking at this. But at any rate, they, there is one later on that I'll ask you about. First up, though, is interest rates. You know, they've they've come up pretty substantially, uh, at least the ten year has, and the inflation hawks are starting to say, "You see, we've been printing money, we've been printing money." Yeah. And what you're going to see is this is the beginning of a big run up in interest rates. So clearly, with uh, you know half the high net worth world uh, invested in heavily invested in bonds and munis, boy, a big run up in interest rates would be pretty devastating for the one percent. Uh, so do you think do you think this is a, an uptick just because we're finally you're looking at low a low unemployment rate? Well, I think a couple of things. One is um, you know interest rates ultimately the market wants a real return. So at this level, I think part of what's priced in is the notion that there could be deflation, even though you and I might say that's not possible. And Milton Friedman said that as long as we can print money, there won't be deflation. But there's got to be some notion of that in here. Otherwise, why would people accept such a low return when really what they want is a real return? So that's one thesis. The other is that all you really want is safety. And in a world where there's so much debt and so much risk to principal, the U.S. bond offers that certainty that you'll get your money. And if you get 90 cents instead of a dollar, if it's eroding, you know, in some right. world... You're economy, willing to pay the cost yeah, for that you know, service. Sometimes you got zero from countries or 50 right. cents or whatever. So I, it's a very interesting world because the 10-year Treasury right now is at 2%. And if I do 1 over 2%, that means the 10-year Treasury is trading at 50 times earnings, in effect. And there's no growth on earnings. Yeah. It's just solid. Uh, the coupon stays the same. So when you think about that premium, it's all about the safety right. in that bond. And that's why there's a strong argument that equities are cheap, because they're not 50 times earnings. And we just talked about Southern Company. You know, Do people need electricity? Yeah. If people aren't demanding electricity, I'm not quite sure that the United States is paying on its bonds. You know, if we get in a situation where the world doesn't care about electricity, we might be in a world where the United States is not paying you a coupon 
or that the printing press isn't working or the mail isn't working or your internet isn't working. So I just, I think that uh, that also is, you know, a price of money. Right. When you think about the baby boom and life of savings at a time when the world was never richer and never growing faster, really, over the last 50 years, we just have an excess of cash and not enough places to use it. Right. Is also the other story to why the price of money, bless you, is so cheap. Thank you. So I think that's interesting. Uh, okay. What have you got? Man, uh, you really ripped see. that up. Well, here, I've got something on page five. Nominal gross domestic product. Now, this freaked everyone out the other day because the, uh, I don't have that chart here, but real GDP for the fourth quarter was negative. just reported as slightly negative. And with inflation so low, this is nominal, so it includes inflation. Uh, bless you. Um, and so this is about 20, you know, maybe 20 basis points, it looks like. It's not labeled. But look at how odd this is. We've got years of positive numbers over the last three years. We and fall off quite the cliff. an aberration. So why is that? You know, I have a cousin who's a lifer in the military. Oh. And, uh, you know, we were just on... Uh, you know, uh, email going back and forth on this. And he tells me that in his world where he's seeing things, uh, people are being asked to take a day off a week, 20%. In the recent GDP number, one of the reasons it was so uh, challenged was military spending was down 22%. And my cousin's telling me, yeah, it's really happening. They're having people stay home one day a week. Well, you know, one day out of five is 20%. It's very interesting. Right. And so all these guys are being asked to take a hit. So, in effect, the slower GDP growth is coming out of the compensation of American military personnel. And I'm not sure anyone was aware this was going to happen. And they're big enough to be the sole reason or the driving reason? Well, they were the biggest it? reason. And why is it happening in advance of the sequester? You know, military people like to follow orders. So, whereas we're financial guys going this sequester is nuts, or this fiscal cliff is nuts, or they can't possibly be serious. The military's looking at a, a law on the books, and they're going, we got to be prepared by they, year end to cut the spending, right, they, they're, so they're, they do it. They're a government agency, they so they're... They start doing it. So they've been cutting spending big time. I'm going to guess that uh, that's going to reverse out next quarter as they get this underway, but I thought I'd make that comment. Um, one other one I have here, Mo, is on page 7. There's a 25-year chart of interest rates. And I know, notwithstanding your comment, that there's the view that interest rates are heading right. up. And right. I might support that view. I mean, the, mon the, the money supply has been growing at an out-of-control rate by the Fed in order to make sure we don't end up into a you know, declining output, declining employment world. They've been willing to risk inflation because it's just simply viewed as uh, less destabilizing to the economy than maybe a little inflation. But so far there's really no signs of inflation and the big picture on interest rates as you can see here Mo is they've been going down for 25 years. This little blip that you just mentioned on a 30-year chart it doesn't even show yeah, up. So that's a, that's a mega trend for sure and it supports uh, equity valuations as well. And then my final uh, comment this week, there's a lot of things to comment about, but on page 9 here, um, and I encourage you to follow along because this is good stuff, 
Uh, the producer price index. So we just talked about the Fed pumping money out, and uh, there's a companion piece to national economic trends called national monetary trends, also at the St. Louis Federal Reserve. Pull that up, and you'll see what's been going on at the Fed. But despite all the money that they've been spending to buy bonds back, which is how they put money and cash into the economy, uh, the inflation rate is just still hovering at zero. And in fact, over the last two, three years, it really hasn't been lower than it is now. It even dipped negative last quarter for just a, a little, looks like a quarter there in terms of negative inflation or deflation, the thing that some people are concerned about. And also, uh, that's the producer price index, the companion consumption chain price index, also at the lowest level in the last three years. So uh, yeah, inflation the, seems in check. And the price of chain is important. Yeah, I think so. Well, you know, there's, 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 one last, there's one last chart. Tell me what you think of this. It's on page 13, top right-hand side, personal savings rate. <clears> you know, <throat> during the... During the 90s and during the, 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 the housing boom, the United States personal savings rate was nothing. It was zero, and some people argued that it was uh, negative. Um, and when 2008 financial crisis, people said, we got to put some money away. Personal savings rose to 8%. And it's kind of been declining with a few hiccups ever since. As we get a little more comfortable that this is a new normal and we're not saving again. But look at what happened in the last couple of months. Yeah. Savings, personal savings, which has been trickling down and down and down, is shooting up. I wonder if the consumer decides they're going to retrench one more time, uh, you know, top off their personal balance sheets. Is that a drag on the economy? If people are now buying new flat screen TVs, new, new iPhones... Does that increase in savings? What is it? The uh, the, uh, the the something of pernicious, a pernicious. The um, think about it in a second. It's a financial, yeah, ter- a a financial economics term. term. I'm not sure, uh, Mo, but I would say that yes. If you dramatically, if you increase the savings rate, it 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 takes it puts a hit on current consumption, and that affects GDP. But on the other hand, the cost of money should go down because there's more supply of money. And that could conceivably help growth over time. But the cost of money is so low now already that you don't get that impact. Right. I, I think this might just reflect people's concern about the fiscal cliff. Maybe and, that's true. Uh, Maybe that's what that. But it, but it's going to be that's going to be an interesting one to watch to see what happens with that in the next month. Or yeah, so. certainly. Oh, that's it. That means we're out of time. <laughs> uh, did you have a favorite stock this week, Mo? I did. I, uh, yeah, okay. yep, I thought um, Aero Environment looked very interesting to me. Really? Well, I was going to pick that one, and I would, uh, I would certainly, you know, with your endorsement, I'd have listeners take a look at that. But I'm going to go with the stock I actually own right now, Logitech International. Ooh. A lot of uncertainty, yep. but if it works, it's going to work pretty well, Logitech, ticker L-O-G-I. So... That's our show this week. This has been the February 5th, 2013 edition of the Value Guys Stock Talk Show. Thanks for listening. See all our caveats, disclosures, photographs, recipes, and uh, what? Things we did on our vacation at www.thevalueguys.com. So long, everybody. See you next week.